I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission, a shocking video of a San Francisco art gallery owner hosing down a homeless person named Q went viral last month. On full display were the ongoing tensions between the city's housed and unhoused residents. It also highlighted a key debate in San Francisco. What's the best way to manage people who are clearly in crisis. In November 2020, Mayor Lennon Breed launched street crisis response teams with people like Q from that viral video in mind. The idea was that it's better to send a clinician, a community paramedic, and a peer advocate to help people, not the police. But teams had reached out to Q several times before that video went viral. What went wrong? You've likely seen some of these teams in action in San Francisco. They're often wearing colored vests and walking around in some of the city's most troubled neighborhoods. Increasingly, San Francisco is relying on community workers like them to service its most vulnerable residents. In March, the city plans to launch a pilot program that will remove police from low-level 911 calls about homelessness and dispatch community workers instead. Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle reporter Mallory Mensch joins me to discuss this new pilot program, as well as share data about the impact of the city's street crisis teams so far. Have they been effective in the two years since they've hit the streets? And what barriers do they continue to face? Mallory Mensch, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Mallory, San Francisco is trying out a new pilot team that would replace police officers with community workers for low-level 911 calls. What's different about this pilot program compared to existing programs in the city? What are the goals? The goals are that they would have community workers instead of police responding to certain calls about homelessness. These are really low-level things like some People call about people sleeping in their doorways or things like that. This is unique because it's different than other teams. So a lot have city workers. They want people who are working in the community who can get out there, can talk to them, try to get them into whatever services are available and not have police come and be criminalizing people if they're homeless. And there are already a number of crisis teams active on San Francisco streets. Tell me, who are they and what kinds of services do they provide? There are a lot of them. It's hard to keep track. They all have similar acronyms, SKIRT and SWIRT and SORT. Um, and some of them have been around for longer, run by different departments. One is the homeless outreach team. So where people roam around, they talk to people, they try to see what they can help them with, whether there's any shelter or housing that they could try to get them into. Another is a team run by the fire department of community paramedics. So they're trained paramedics, but they're focused more on people who are on the streets, um, especially if they're dealing with mental illness or substance use. And that team focuses on people who are frequent 911 users so that they can try to reduce the number of times that um, those people need those services. And then some new teams, which Maryland and Breed has launched over the past couple of years, are really focused on taking some of the calls away from police. So that includes the street overdose response team. So if, if people are overdosing, which is a huge problem in the city, then they will send mental health workers to follow up with that person. And then we also have the street wellness team. So if someone just calls for a wellness check to say, hey, I don't know if this person is breathing, they're on the street, then they send people out to go and do that. And then there's also the street crisis response team, which is probably the most notable of the teams. And they respond to calls of people in mental crisis. 
So a lot of different kinds of teams doing different things on the streets. And one team in particular is being tapped for this new pilot program. It's Urban Alchemy, which some San Francisco residents may have seen walking around Soma or the Tenderloin. They wear these black and green vests. Urban Alchemy, though, Mallory, is kind of controversial. Why are they the front runners to run this pilot program? You know, I'm not exactly sure why they were specifically chosen for this. They do have a lot of contracts already with the city interacting with people on the streets. So they have those ambassadors you were talking about who are walking around. They also do run some homeless services themselves. They've picked up contracts to run homeless shelters. And in the past, city officials have said that they value them also because of who they employ. So largely people of color, a lot of people coming out of prison. So they provide a job opportunity for them and they may have things in common with the people that they meet on the streets. But the organization has come under some controversies and they face some criticism, especially from some other nonprofits and groups in the city who wanted to run this pilot program to uh, respond to homelessness. The organization uh, has faced some lawsuits and some people feel as though they are simply moving people around on the streets and don't necessarily have those connections to long-term care or the training that some other organizations might have. So that's the criticism. You know, the organization refutes that, you know, say that they try to get people into help and they also run some of those services themselves. It's become increasingly clear that San Francisco is relying on street teams to provide critical services for people. In November 2020, Mayor Lennon Breed launched street crisis response teams, which received a lot of positive attention. Do we have data on how effective they've been now that it's been a couple of years? So for the street crisis response teams in particular, the ones that, like you said, were really celebrated nationally as an alternative police response, The data shows that they have responded to a ton of calls, uh, more than 14,000 over the last two years. It took them a while to do this transition, but finally they are responding to all of a certain type of calls about people in mental distress instead of police. And if they're not available, then they send another of these teams or they send an ambulance. So no armed police officer is going to respond, which most people think is positive. Where the data is perhaps not so positive is that it can be a challenge to get people to a better place or to understand what's the best outcome for people. Well, first off, they can't find people in about half of the interactions. So maybe someone is driving by and they call 911 and the 911 sends them. They get there, their average response time is 17 minutes, but the person may be gone or maybe the person walks away and doesn't want to engage. But in their engagements, more than half of the people remained in the community and their crisis was resolved, is what they say. But most of the people they serve are homeless, so then that means that they're probably still on the streets and probably in the same place where they were at before their crisis was resolved. But they say that one of the challenges they face is that pretty much most of what they have to offer, most of what they can do is voluntary. So they can just offer things. And if people don't want them, then there's really not much they can do. They have had success in getting a couple thousand of people in uh, almost 30% of their interactions into housing or treatment or to the hospital. But they only have mandated people into hospitalization in a small fraction, about 5% of cases. More with Mallory Mensch after a quick break. A San Francisco art gallery owner was caught on video hosing down an unhoused resident. Turns out the city's street crisis response team had tried to reach them multiple times. What went wrong? We'll be right back. 
Did you know the number one way people discover new podcasts is word of mouth from their friends? So if you enjoy Fifth Emission, we'd love it if you tell someone about our show, even if it's just one person. Thanks for helping us make new friends. Mallory, I want to use a recent incident as a case study in crisis team responses. In January, a North Beach gallery owner was captured on camera spraying an unhoused resident with a water hose. And this brought up a lot of questions about how effective the crisis response teams are. How did they respond to that particular unhoused resident? So the street crisis response team had responded to her multiple times. I spoke to one mental health clinician who used to work on one of the teams, and she said her team alone, they responded at least five times. Most often the person would, you know, say, no, I don't want whatever you have to offer and and say, I'm fine and walk away. So they didn't appear to be in mental crisis. They didn't appear to be a danger to themselves or others. So there's really not much that they felt like they could do, even though the community was very frustrated. But the clinician did say after about the fifth time that they finally had a conversation with this person. They were chatting about the weather. The person was the best they'd ever seen and seemed really receptive. So that was promising. Like, hey, maybe if we come back next time, they'll perhaps want to go inside. But that next time was interrupted by this incident where the person got hosed. And then this team, a different team, not the clinician that I interviewed with, went to respond to her again. Apparently, they made multiple service offers and the person ended up in the hospital. I don't know if that was voluntary or involuntary. Now, what does that really sort of highlight about the key challenges that crisis response teams face? One of the biggest challenges that they face is debate over a law that determines whether you can force someone to go to the hospital. It's called a 5150 hold, a temporary hold. And the criteria for this is that someone needs to be considered a danger to themselves or others or that they're gravely disabled and they don't seem to be able to take care of themselves and they also need to have a mental health disorder to qualify. That is a super prickly debate and while there's a law that generally defines whether you should do that to someone, it's never simple, it's up to the interpretation of the individual. But then even if they do that, a lot of people express frustration that if they do, they may take someone to a hospital and then there's a whole nother level of assessment that takes place and then the doctor may decide, actually, they, they don't meet the criteria. So you need to have a mental health diagnosis. So if someone is, say, in a meth-induced psychosis, then that doesn't qualify. So it's a high bar. But the challenge that everyone, both the teams and the hospital, is facing is that they don't have enough places to send people either. Sometimes they have to wait days and transfer them to another area of the hospital because there's not enough psych beds. And if they don't meet that high standard, then there's not enough other forms of treatment. There's not enough shelter. There's a complicated process to get in housing. So sometimes the hospitals said that they don't know what else to do as well, but to release people back onto the streets. Mallory, it could be kind of hard for San Francisco residents to understand who to reach out to if they see someone who needs help. For residents and business owners who want to help and reach the appropriate person, what are the options? So the message from the city is basically call 911. They say that we know everyone doesn't want to do that. They're afraid that police are going to end up there. But they say, no, really, we've trained everyone. And now we have this whole system where we are not going to be sending police to, say, a call about 
a person in mental crisis unless it appears that there's a weapon or there may be some violence involved. That's the caveat. So they say, call 911. We've trained the dispatchers and they're going to send the appropriate team. Mm -hmm. And now that we have some data to evaluate how the street crisis response team has been working, what kinds of steps are the city taking to make these teams even more effective? So I think they do recognize that there are a lot of teams and maybe we can make this simpler, more streamlined. So they're planning on combining two of the teams, the street crisis team, which we've been talking about, and then the street wellness team, which I mentioned responds to calls about wellness checks. And they hope that this will expand capacity because they'll now have more teams on a daily basis. They're also making a change to the street crisis teams, which is a bit controversial. And that's that they previously have had three people on these teams. There's a paramedic, there's the mental health clinician, and then there's a peer advocate. And they're replacing the mental health clinician with an EMT. So it's similar to a paramedic. And then they want the clinicians instead to be able to provide more follow-up care with people so that they can try to manage their cases and, you know, help them get to a better place. The clinicians don't like that because they say, well, we're the mental health professionals. We should be on these calls. That's kind of the whole point. But other people think this is a good move so that they can provide more follow-up care, which is really critical on something that I think everyone thinks needs to be improved. A complicated matrix of different types of teams. Mallory, thank you so much for helping me understand it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Mallory Mensch covers City Hall for The Chronicle. Find her reporting on San Francisco's street crisis response teams at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thank you to Francesca Fenzi for producing this episode, King Kaufman for editing it, and to you for listening. 